The number one triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six will put you in touch with Savan and his team, or James Fireman as well, who was doing this show on this uh, this fine weekend, the Insurance and Injury Law Show. Help at the insurancelawyer.ca anytime through email, and uh, you can call, of course, that number anytime and leave a message. Injury calculator. We'll get to that here in just a little bit. Where we always start the uh, the show, James, with the week that was. How was it, brother? Interesting week, John. Interesting week. So. There's a lady who saw me not long ago. Um, she's a teacher. And uh, a few years ago, she was in her classroom, and there was a student who had some special needs, didn't have a support worker there that day. And the student became a little bit aggressive, and the class had to be evacuated. And this lady who's contacted me, this teacher, she stays in the class because the student has a pair of scissors, and he, she's, wow. she's worried that he's going to hurt himself. So she actually disarms this student at her own risk. But in doing so, the student's still aggressive, and he throws a chair, hits her in the head. So not surprisingly, you know, she's got a concussion from this, and she's got all kinds of symptoms that come with it. She's got headaches, light sensitivity, noise sensitivity. She's got difficulty reading for more than 10 minutes, looking at a computer for more than Mm -hmm. 10 minutes. These are pretty significant issues if you're a teacher, as one can imagine. So... She's off work for a few months, but she wants to work. This has been her job for her life. And so she goes back. She does the best she can. But less than a year later, she's not able to cope with it anymore. It's just too much. Her headaches are becoming too difficult. So she goes off work. She takes leave, applies for disability insurance. And guess what? Her insurance says, no, you're fine. You were able to go back to work Almost before. a year ago. Right. Yeah. You, you were able to go back to work before, so obviously you're, you must be fine now. What do they do? They hire, in order to cut her off, in order to deny her benefits, they hire an investigator to conduct surveillance of her. You know, you can question why you would even bother to do that, because how are you really going to be able to determine whether someone has legitimate symptoms of a concussion if you have a a surveillance investigator following them? Are you going to be able to tell that they're having difficulty with their memory? It's not like you're missing a leg. Right. I mean, it's (laughs) I, I don't know what it is that they're looking for, but nonetheless, they seem to have found it because they decided to deny her benefits. Interestingly, though. Um, I've read the surveillance reports, and the surveillance investigator thought it was interesting that she kept her sunglasses on, not just outdoors, but inside too, which is quite consistent with what she had told both them and myself as well, Um, and quite consistent with someone who's suffering from post-concussion syndrome. But what they didn't do, the insurance company, when they hired doctors to do a review, they didn't bother telling them that. They didn't bother telling the doctors that, you know, this is one of the things that the surveillance investigator found. So they've denied her benefits. Um, So we're going to be bringing a claim in that very shortly, and I suspect you're going to be hearing quite a bit more about it in the weeks that come. I'm not, you know, it doesn't shock me based on the the amount of time that that went from the the time this whole thing happened to when she, uh, you know, got back to work, did it for a year, decided she couldn't do it. Of course they're going to deny it. Of course they are. Yeah, you know what? It's one of those things where no matter what you do, the insurance company is going to take a position um, that is going to be um, difficult. I mean, if you don't go back to work, they're going to say you're malingering. You go back to work and they say, oh, you're fine. Obviously, you were able to do it. So what's the problem? The reality of the situation is, though, that um, whether you go back to work or don't go back to work is not in and of itself going to determine whether you're entitled to disability benefits. The fact that you've tried doesn't mean that you're okay, and the fact that you haven't been able to try going back to work doesn't mean that you're malingering. Um, and so, you know, if you're in this situation, if you're listening, 
um, certainly there are things that we can do. So please give us a call if this is familiar to you. I mean, number one, it's it's isn't that one of her duties is to try to mitigate? Absolutely. And she she did that. Absolutely. Went back to work. Absolutely. But right. you know, the insurance company is going to take that. Um, and use that to whatever advantage they can, even if there's no basis for it, as there isn't here. Do you think part of this is because it's not like we we said with the you know the missing leg we were in jest, but it's because it's not a physical injury you can see so much on an X-ray or maybe on an X-ray, but you know physically you can't see it, so they deny it as opposed to okay, this guy is obviously missing half a limb, right? Uh- yeah, I think you're on to something with that, John. Um, certainly, historically, uh, claims arising out of mental health issues right. have been denied more frequently. Um, they are things that insurance companies will be much more skeptical of, um, particularly in the past, although I would like to think that that is changing. Mm-hmm. I'd like to think that as a society, and particularly our judicial system, is starting to recognize mental health claims as um, on, on an even basis with physical claims. We'll take our, our first break. In the meantime, the number one triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six. Help at the insurancelawyer.ca. We'll get to your emails, a bunch of questions as well, and we'll move into the injury calculator after our short break. This is the Insurance and Injury Law Show right here. Global News Radio, six forty Toronto. One triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six is the number to get a hold of Savan's team anytime. Help at the insurancelawyer.ca. Before I get some questions and email, James, want to get to the injury calculator. Give me some details on that bad boy. Sure. So this is a really great tool um, that we have at injurycalculator.ca. I have a lot of clients that will come to me and ask me, "How do we figure out what we what we might get if we were to bring a legal claim? What is um, our what are our injuries worth?" And so. The way that it's calculated, it's you know, this is not an economic loss. This is not something where we can look at your tax returns and say, this is how much money you've lost. We're talking about injuries to parts of your bodies. So it's understandable that people aren't really sure how it is you get from this injury to this dollar amount. And each case is quite different. Um, there are a lot of factors that go into it. Your age is certainly a factor, the severity of your injuries, how it's impacted your life. All of these things matter. So every time there is a legal action and there's a written decision, that decision will include much of that information about the people who have brought the claim, Mm -hmm. their age, what injuries they've had, and so forth. And so the injury calculator, what it does, it asks you to fill in this information, how old you are, what your injuries were, how you got injured. And what it'll do is it'll compare your details to all of the legal claims in the database, which is constantly updated. And it will give you an estimate, it will give you a range, a low and a high end, of what you might expect your claim to be worth for your pain and suffering. And that's simply what it does. And we should highlight pain and suffering. That could be, uh, even though the number might look pretty sweet, it could be a very small portion of the claim, right? Oh, sure. There's many other parts of a claim. Certainly um, for a injury claim, you're talking about loss of income. Uh, you can be talking about your medical expenses as well, anything you're out of pocket for. Really what this is doing is it's just focusing on your injuries and what you might get for your pain. Injurycalculator.ca is the website to go to, one 990 and help at the insurancelawyer.ca through email. We'll get to a few of those today. Question, though, I mean, winter's upon us, uh, so what should people do if they uh, they slip and fall on ice? It's going to happen. It's been pretty warm. It's starting to get pretty cold. Obviously, they should uh, they should seek medical attention, uh, medical attention first, but what should they do from uh, like a legal standpoint? Well, the very first thing to do is to contact a lawyer. Um, You know, I'm not saying that to be self-serving. I'm saying that because it's quite critical if you're in a slip and fall that you get some legal help right away. And the reason for that, particularly if you have fallen um, anywhere that's owned by the municipality, there's a 10-day limitation. 
So you have to give notice to that municipality within 10 days. And there are a lot of places that are within the municipal ownership that you may not realize. So certainly if you slip and fall on a road, that's obviously... Sidewalk or whatever, uneven pavement. That's right. And, and, you know, the sidewalk is interesting because, you know, I, I don't want to get too technical, but that's called a road allowance. So the municipality has responsibility for not just the road, but for a distance from the road to the sidewalk and even beyond that. So even driveways that extend beyond the sidewalk, that's going to be part of the municipal road allowance, the sidewalks, the areas in the boulevard between the Mm -hmm. sidewalk and the road. All of those areas are maintained by the municipality, or they should be. And if you've fallen in any of those areas, you have to give them notice within 10 days of your fall. And if you don't, you can be legally barred from bringing the claim. So it's very important that as a first step, the municipality is properly notified of the clerk. That's right. And certainly, uh, we can help you do that. Uh, We can help you get the proper notice. It's not very difficult, but it's very important. Um, So beyond that, it's just really important that you have proper legal advice so that you're in a position and you know uh, what your options are going forward. And I guess, you know, this time of year kind of plays a part too, because if you did nothing about it, you slipped and fell and you got damage on a knee or a concussion, you know, if it all comes to fruition, they say, go back and take some pictures. Oh, it was plus three yesterday. Exactly. Ice is gone. And and that's what is behind uh, this requirement for notifying the city within 10 days. It's to give them a fair shot to investigate where you fell and what had happened. And if it takes, you know, a month or six months, you know, certainly if it's because of ice, that's not going to be there anymore. And I guess it's, you know, most people would not know unless they've listened to the show for the last several years with you and Savannah that, I mean, if you're in a parking lot of a mall and you slip on ice, you may not know that uh, maybe the mall's not responsible for setting down the salt. Maybe the contractor hired a subcontractor who hired another subcontractor. You, there's no way you're going to be able to dig up that information on your own. That's why you want to contact you, right? No. In fact, even when we look at it at first glance, we're not going to know right away. We're, we get that information once we start the claim often uh, from the person who might own the property. They'll tell us who the other people that might be responsible the winter maintenance contractors and so forth. And because, because the, there could be other claimants that come into play as far as you know paying for whatever damages the road, right? It might not be one, two people. It could be five people. You need to know that, right? It sounds like you've done this before, John. Once that, or twice. <laughs> yeah, no that, law school. Not nearly bright enough, but I've, I've, I've learned a little. No, but the concept is right. You want to make sure that you name everybody that might be on the hook, um, not just because you want as many people at the table with pockets to pay the claim, right. but because you want to make sure that you've named everyone that might have responsibility if the case were to go further. You want to bounce over an email to us? We'll get to one as soon as we come back from a, a short break. Help at the insurancelawyer.ca is the email address, the number one 990 Anytime to get a hold of James Savan, the rest of the team at the law firm as well. It's the Insurance and Injury Law Show, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. 1-888-990-9646 is the number. It is help at the insurancelawyer.ca. We talked about it last uh, last segment. If you want to find out what the pain and suffering component of your claim should be, injurycalculator.ca as well. We'll get to an email as mentioned. Glenn uh, writes in, says, my wife was in a terrible car accident last year and still hasn't been able to go back to work. She received income replacement benefits until May when she was cut off. She still has a concussion and very bad back pains. We don't have her income um, and we don't know what to do. She was a passenger in a friend's car and they were T-boned in an intersection. The car was, uh, she was in flipped twice. She's lucky to be alive. Actually, she's still badly injured. What do we do? How do we do it? So there's a few issues uh, that Glenn raises in his email. Um, the first is the denial of the income replacement benefit. So that is part of the accident benefit scheme. 
That's something that you have by contract with your own insurance company. They have to pay for your income replacement benefits, for medical and rehabilitation benefits, and so forth, regardless of who's at fault. So if they've denied the income replacement benefit or cut your wife off, Glenn, that's certainly something that we can challenge. The other aspect, of course, is bringing a legal action against the at-fault driver. From what you've described, it doesn't sound like it's going to be very difficult to prove that the vehicle that T-boned the car that your wife was in is going to be at fault. So we could start a legal claim. Uh, there's the, One of the big benefits to bringing uh, a legal claim with our firm in particular is that when you have an ongoing accident benefits claim, we don't charge our clients for, uh, for obtaining their accident benefits if right. we have a legal claim with them. So as long as the insurance company is paying those benefits, and if they were to reinstate uh, Glenn's wife's income replacement benefits in this case, we wouldn't be charging her anything for that. Um, so that's a huge benefit that our clients get. So Glenn, uh, certainly uh, have you or your wife give us a call, and there's certainly a lot that we can do to help. What goes down if, uh, you know, we'll say the guy that did the T-boning, the guilty party is moronic not, enough not to have insurance? What happens then? Well, it, it would be very unusual for him to have no insurance, but it's happened. No. And the good thing is in Ontario, every policy has what's called uninsured motorist coverage. This is by law. So if that were to happen, uh, your own policy would step into the shoes of the defendant. Cool. So they would say, okay, there's no insurance money there, so we have to cover it. And so you would have the same coverage that you have if you were to injure somebody else. Good to know. one 9646 the number, help at the insurancelawyer.ca. Nancy says, I received 15 of my 17 weeks of short-term disability. My doctors say that I can't go back to work yet. I have uh, sciatica pains and chronic migraines after an accident earlier this year. I was hoping to apply for LTD, but it's the same insurer as my short-term disability insurer. What do I do? Okay, well, first things first, Nancy. Uh, always, always, always follow your doctor's advice. If your doctor is telling you that you can't go back to work, it means you can't go back, back to work, yeah. regardless of what your insurance company is telling you. You have to listen to your doctor. The other thing I would say is each, disa- each disability policy is a little bit different, but more often than not, if you have short-term and long-term disability coverage with the same insurance company, it's going to be one process. So if they've denied you for short-term, they're going to deny you for the long-term as well. Um, that's what we see quite often. And so if that's happened in your case, we can start a legal claim now. We can bring a legal claim both for the short-term and for the long-term disability benefits. Exactly. Yeah. Save exactly. some time. What happens if she applies for it? And we've talked about this in past shows, but just to hammer it home because it's so important. She gets denied by the insurance company and they say, you can appeal. <laughs> well, John, uh, as we've talked about many times in the other shows that you're referring to, the appeal process is simply put in there so that the insurance companies can drag you along, make you think that there is still an opportunity for them to change their mind. What they're hoping to do is make sure that you don't talk to a lawyer, that you don't start a legal claim. Mm-hmm. And if they're successful, they manage to distract you from doing that for two years, then you have no recourse. If you don't appeal your claim, sorry, if you don't bring a legal claim from a denial of your benefits within two years, then you are not allowed to do it. Even if you're in the appeal process, even if you've appealed twice, five times, even if just a month ago you appealed, doesn't matter. It doesn't buy you any time. Buys you zero time whatsoever. Yep. If they deny you, the clock starts running right then and there, regardless of how many times you appeal it. But once we contact you, you get involved, that goes away, right? Exactly. 
We'll take a, a short break. We got uh, some more emails, questions coming up here. One triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six. The number it is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. And if you haven't checked it out as well, want to find out what the pain and suffering component of your claim should be, could be injurycalculator.ca as well. See insurance and injury law show right here, Global News Radio six forty Toronto. One triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six is the number. It's help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. More of your emails coming up here in just a few moments, and we should cover this as well. We haven't talked about it yet on the show this week, and that is fightformyltd.com. What is it? So Fight for My LTD is a very useful website if you're having an issue with your with your disability insurer. So you go on and you can put in some information about your claim, and you can get you can get answers almost in real time. So you can post your question, ask what's going on. Um, and we'll respond to you. It's also a really great resource, though, because obviously there are many people that have asked questions, um, and those answers are there for anybody to look at. And so it's a really good store of information if you're looking for some solid, useful information about your disability plan. Fightformyltd.com. It's as simple as that. So difference in terms of compensation between an injury claim and an LTD or long-term disability claim. Do they sometimes overlap? Are they completely separate? Well, there is some overlap. Um, in both cases, you're going to be looking at compensation for loss of income. Okay. But the basis for the claims are different. So if you've been denied a disability claim, that's a contract. That's a contract that you have with your disability insurer. And so what you're entitled to is, for the most part, defined by that contract, by that insurance policy. And so if they're denying your benefits, first and foremost, you're entitled to those benefits if you qualify. Um, there are some other things that you can claim, but more or less what you're looking at is the insurance benefits that you've been denied. If you've been injured and you bring an injury claim, that's a whole different story. We're not talking about a contract. We're talking about someone else's negligence. Someone else has done something or not done something, and that's caused you to become injured. Oh, okay. In that situation, what the law says is you are entitled to be made whole again. You're not limited by what what might be in a contract. Whatever you've lost, whether... It's for your pain and suffering, as we've talked about with the injury calculator, um, whether it's your past loss of income, your future loss of income, out-of-pocket expenses, medical expenses, pension loss, whatever it is. Whatever you've lost as a result of this injury, you may be entitled to in an injury claim. So the disability is bound by whatever the terms of the contract are as far as time and compensation level? Yeah, more or less. Right. Um, there are some other elements that you can add to it. Um, if you have lost coverage for your life insurance, for example, as is sometimes the case, you can add that in as well too. Um, and there are, you know, you, you can bring a claim for um, pain and suffering as part of it, but it's a more difficult claim to make out in a disability insurance contract. Email is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We'll get to one from Chris. He says, uh, my wife's been on antipsychotic meds for a few years now. But recently, with the death of her father, her condition worsened. Uh, she was barely functioning at work before now, uh, but she doesn't get out of bed, and it's been like that for a few months. Her long-term disability application was denied because they say that she was able to work before her meds and should therefore be able to do so now, despite what her psychiatrist says. Can we fight this? Well, a absolutely we can fight this, um, and I see this a lot. Insurance companies like to pretend that we live in this world where the conditions that you have are binary. You either have it or you don't. Right. So think of this, you know, if this were in the physical context. Let's say you're over 40 years old and you have degenerative disc disease in your back, which 
If you're over 40 years old, you have degenerative disc disease in your back. You may not know it, but you have it. (laughs) You do. Um, Not everybody has symptoms of it, but it's there. And, you know, let's say you have back pain, you know, every few months, nothing major, but it flares Mm -hmm. up every now and then. And then you get in a car accident and all of a sudden you have back pain all the time. It's constant. Exacerbated big time. Exactly. The x-rays show the same degenerative disc disease. But your condition is much worse. Your symptoms are much, much worse. Mm-hmm. No one's going to be confused as to why your symptoms have just gotten worse. You've suffered a traumatic event. Well, when we're talking about mental health claims, it's not different. They lie on a continuum. You know, it doesn't mean just because you have it that you're one way, and if you don't, you're another. If you have it or you don't, you're somewhere on the continuum. You might have it significantly or not significantly, hmm. and that can change. So if there's a traumatic event, like in Chris's wife's case where her father passed away, that's going to have an impact. And the fact that it has had an impact and she's no longer able to work where she was having so much difficulty before shouldn't be surprising to anyone. So the answer is yes, we can absolutely fight this. We'll get to a a question here. You and Savannah often said that appeals are useless in long-term disability claims, but isn't a legal claim a type of appeal? What's the difference? It's really not an appeal. An appeal is where you're asking the same entity to reconsider the decision that they've made. So in a disability claim, when you have been denied your benefits or cut off your benefits by the insurance company, the appeal process is simply asking them to reconsider. They will ask you if you have any other documents that you want to give them. Sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. But in any case, the person who is considering that appeal is the exact same entity. When you bring a legal claim, you're taking it out of their hands. No longer is the insurance company the one who gets to decide whether or not you're entitled to your benefits. Now it's up to the court system. And they know that. They know that now the decision has been taken out of their hands, and so they have to be reasonable. They have to really take a hard look at whether or not you are actually entitled, as opposed to just hoping you're not going to consult a lawyer and challenge their decision. In your experience all these years, have you really... there's not many appeals that ever go through where they say, you know what, we were wrong. We'll take you back in. doesn't happen too often, does it? Well, I, I'm not saying it's never happened, right. but it's pretty darn rare. Really? It's pretty rare, yeah. So once a legal claim has started, someone uh, gives you a call, says, guys, I need you to take care of this. Savannah's often, uh, often said as well that once that starts, the phone calls from the insurance company to you, luckily, thankfully, will cease. Yeah, absolutely. Why? Well, first of all, they have to. Uh, ah. when, when we tell the insurance company that we've been retained, they are no longer entitled to contact you directly. And that's a huge benefit for our clients. Most of them have a significant amount of stress, not just because they've been injured and can't work, but because now they're fighting with their insurance company. Now they're worried about their benefits either are going to be cut off or have been cut off. And they have this adjuster who's calling them, asking them questions all the time, telling them that they have to go to this appointment or that appointment that's really stressful. We take that part away. We deal directly with the insurance company so they don't have to. You know, you mentioned the phone call by adjusters, and I think that's worth mentioning as well, that one of the uh, one of the fringe benefits, I guess you could say, of having you guys take over is me as, uh, as just a normal, plain old Joe who's been injured and now I'm dealing with an adjuster. What I say to them, my language is so key to the success of how things move forward, right? But I don't know how to, we don't know how to do it as, as just general insured people. Well, you know, it's funny. I don't even know that it is that important because whatever you say, they're going to twist it and use it against you. It, honestly, it, it really doesn't much matter. Right. Um, you know, I, I think if they see that you are someone with legal experience, then it might matter. 
then it might matter. But if not, it really doesn't much matter. You know, they'll take either side of the argument and use it against you. And, you know, for any, almost any situation, they, you know, they have two different arguments that they'll use. You haven't gone back to work, you're malingering. You've gone back to work, you must be fine. Doesn't really matter. They'll, they'll use either side of the argument. Back to your emails after we take a break. Uh, Barry, hang on. We'll get to yours. one 990 is the number. It is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. This is the Insurance and Injury Law Show, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. one 990 is the number. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca for email. If you haven't checked it out or used it, give it a try. The Injury Calculator at injurycalculator.ca as well. Uh, Barry writes in, as mentioned, says, I've recently had a bypass and I'm on dialysis two times a week. I drive trucks for a living and was recently denied long-term disability because apparently I'm not disabled enough. My brother listens to your show and said I should contact you. Is there a point fighting the denial? I'm 56 and I was making over $100,000 a year in a job I loved and worked at for over 20 years. Absolutely, there's a point fighting this, Barry, for sure. Given your health concerns, I have no doubt that your doctors are telling you you're not able to return to work. Um, That's what you have the disability insurance for. They should be paying you. You bought something from them. It was the promise that if you weren't able to work, they would pay your disability benefits. You paid for this by paying the premiums every month on time. Now it's time for them to hold up their part of the bargain. So is there a point fighting? Yes, of course there is. Let's make them give you what's rightfully yours. And I'm sensing a, an employment issue here possibly as well after that many years, right? That could uh, that could also arise. Which, by the way, we should mention the other half of the firm that uh, that Lior does is, is why you guys are almost unique in this marketplace that you do both injury law and employment, and they almost always go hand in hand. Absolutely. Whenever there is an issue in one, there's often an issue right. in the other. Um, and we certainly have a team of lawyers that are um, quite willing to be able to assist you, whether it's an employment issue or a disability issue or an injury issue. one 990 is the number. Uh, question, punitive damages, that term's often thrown around uh, the show every week. Uh, can you claim them in a long-term disability case, and what are they? Well, you can claim them in a long-term disability case. Um, what you need to understand about punitive damages is it's not meant to compensate victims for what they've lost or what they might be entitled to. Um, So if you've been injured and you have a claim for punitive damages, no one's looking at what's happened to you. The focus is actually on the defendant. They are punitive, which means that they are meant as a punishment for the defendant for how the defendant has acted in that particular case. So if the defendant, and in a disability case, we're talking about insurance company, If the insurance company has acted in such an egregious way, the court has the ability to award punitive damages as a punishment to say, you shouldn't have done that. Not only do you have to pay this person what you owe them under the contract, but you also have to pay this extra amount as a punishment so that you are not going to do this in the future and that other people that are reading this case aren't going to do it either. So that's really what we're talking about when we're talking about punitive damages. They are available. Um, in Canada, they're not quite what they are in the United States. Yeah, no kidding. So, you know, you hear of billion-dollar punitive damages awards in the United States. That's not what you're going to see in Canada. Um, they do tend to be more modest, but certainly they are available. Um, but what can be really useful about a punitive damages claim, um, you're not often going to see it awarded, but if there is the possibility of a punitive damages claim, that's going to be really embarrassing for an insurance company. So they want to avoid that at all costs. So if they have done something 
that exposes them to the risk of a punitive damages award, they're going to be much more reasonable when it comes time to settling the disability claim. So I have an example for you. Um, I had a client uh, not long ago. He had some significant mental health claims in addition to physical claims, but was still denied his uh, disability benefits. One of his issues was he had this fear of persecution, and it manifested itself in some really obvious ways. Um, He was very worried for his family. He would keep his family in bed with him at night. He was um, concerned about letting anyone out of the house. He thought that there were people breaking into the house. It was a real significant issue for him. Um, And the insurance company was aware of this. They knew that he was suffering from this. So what do they do? They hire an investigator to conduct surveillance of him. Now, they're entitled to do that, but if you're conducting surveillance of somebody who has a fear of persecution, you better be real sure that your investigator doesn't get caught, that the guy doesn't see him there, because this is feeding into exactly what his problem is. He's worried that people are out to get him. And so what do they do? my, My client saw the investigator, knew that he was being followed, and got freaked out, understandably so. Even people who aren't suffering from mental health claims are going to be upset if they realize that they're being followed. So he reports this to the the police. When it comes time to settle the claim, now the insurance company wouldn't pay anything for the punitive damages aspect of it. They wouldn't acknowledge that they owed anything for that. But they paid an awful lot more than I ever thought that they would have before this had happened for the disability benefits. Email address is help at the insurancelawyer.ca. Sonia writes in, says I'm on long-term disability and was told by my insurance adjuster that if I don't get CPP disability, they'll cut me off. Can they do that? No. Okay, no. done. No, they can't do that. Um, they're different definitions. So there are, many, there are many disability policies that will require you to apply for CPP disability benefits. Um, that's quite legitimate. But whatever that decision is does not itself determine whether you are entitled to disability benefits from your insurance company. So let me unpackage that a little bit. You might have to apply for CPP disability benefits, but if the government says you're not entitled, the insurance company isn't then allowed to say, well, the government didn't give it to you, so so we we don't have it. No, they are different definitions. And whether or not you're entitled to disability benefits depends entirely on the definition of disability in the contract and the rest of that contract. And so if you meet the definition in the contract, whether or not the government agrees with that or not doesn't matter at all. So the insurance company will generally get you to apply for CPP because they'll get a deduction if you get awarded monies, right? Usually. uh, Most policies have uh, language in there that will allow them to deduct whatever you get from CPP. Uh, but not all of them do. It's worth looking at the, the policy specifically to determine whether that's a deduction they're allowed to claim. The number one triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six. Help at the insurance lawyer More questions and more emails after we take a short break. It's the insurance and injury law show. Global News Radio six forty Toronto. One triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six. The number help at the insurance lawyer If you haven't uh, tried it yet, find it with a pain and suffering component. Of your claim should be injurycalculator.ca as well. Email Dennis says, my wife was cut off LTD because the insurer said that there is conflicting opinions between what their doctor says about her disability and what her treating specialist says. What can we do? Well, the first thing we can do is bring a legal claim. Um, your treating specialist or your wife's treating specialist are going to be in a much better position to assess whether or not there's really a disability there. And I'd be really curious whether the doctors who uh, reviewed Dennis's wife's claim for the insurance company ever even met her. 
More really? Of, more often than not, they're doing a paper review. Now, sometimes they will, and that's fine, but they're still not going to be in as good a position. They haven't got the history. Right. They're not going to be in as good a position as someone who's been treating her for you know the last six months or a year and has seen how her condition has fluctuated over time um, and what has affected her condition. So I'd really like to know whether that's the case or not. Um, once we start a, a legal claim, though, the insurance company lo- no longer has a say. It's now in the court's hands. Um, the insurance company can then be reasonable and agree to settle the case for a reasonable amount, but they no longer have the final determination as they do if they just cut you off and say, okay, well, you can appeal if you want. It's still them deciding in that case. Isn't it worth mentioning, too, that the aforementioned doctors that you go to see or are reviewing your case by the insurance company are paid by the insurance company? For sure. Um, you know, And when you're paid by one particular institutional client, it's not going to be surprising if your decisions, your opinions tend to weigh in favor of that particular client, just the way it goes. On the other hand, you know, we have a roster of doctors that we use to see our to see our clients. And they are not, by the way, they're not doctors that just see um, clients from our firm or even for other firms representing plaintiffs. They're doctors that see people on both sides of legal claims and really, you know, their business is being doctors. Right. Um, you know, they are excellent doctors in whatever field they, they specialize in, and we hire them um, to see our, our patients if um, their specialty matches what's needed. And typically, um, we're talking about some of the best doctors in the entire world, um, at least in Canada and their profession. And so that's what you get access to. At what point is it too late for you to help someone who's been denied or cut off LTD? In Ontario, there is a two-year limitation uh, period that's in effect for any legal claims. And so in the disability context, what that means is if you've been denied your benefits, you have two years from the date of the denial. Mm. That's when the clock starts running. Um, if you're talking about somebody in a injury context, it's typically two years from the date of when you suffer the injury. Sometimes it can extend beyond that, but you don't really want to play around with that. So it's two years. Janice writes in at uh, help at the insurancelawyer.ca, says I was in a car crash about eight months ago and broke several bones and had surgery on my back. I'm 47, can't work now. I used to be a school custodian. The, uh, the accident wasn't my fault, but they couldn't identify the other driver. He fled the scene. The police wrote in their report that uh, it was not my fault. I was just cut off income replacement benefits, and I don't know what to do. Well, first of all, I'm very surprised that Janice has been cut off from her income replacement benefits just eight months after suffering several fractures and having back surgery. Um, I'm not sure what kind of insurance company is going to take the position that she's in a position to return to work just eight months after suffering that kind of injury. That's insane to me. Um, So that's definitely something that we can dispute with the insurer. And if needed, we could bring a legal claim through the tribunal to dispute the denial of the accident benefits. In terms of the accident itself and bringing a legal claim, what we're talking about here is an unidentified vehicle that caused the accident. And in Ontario, just like if you get an accident with someone who doesn't have enough insurance, Mm -hmm. if you get an accident with someone who you're not able to identify, they leave the scene, for example, um, every policy of insurance has unidentified motorist coverage as well. So if you are not able to identify whoever it is that hit you because they drove away, your own insurance company steps into the place of the unidentified vehicle and you have up to a million dollars of coverage from your own policy. 
You guys must handle some pretty large claims at the office for car accidents because you, you do so much of this. Do you ever have a case that looks small at the beginning like peanuts and then in the end it's just mushroomed into a, a, a big massive thing? Yeah, it happens. Not all the time, but okay. it does happen from time to time. Um, I have one particular client. He was a pedestrian. He had fractures in his leg. And it wasn't a small claim to begin with, um, but it looked like um, a um, fairly common type of claim where he's going to miss work for a certain period of time. His problem was he's diabetic. He was diabetic before. That had nothing to do with the accident, of course. But he wound up having a boot over his foot for several months because of the, the fracture. And he developed sores on the bottom, and then that became gangrene. And then he had to have an amputation. And the, the diabetes would have expedited that big time. Absolutely. Yeah. And so the amputation all of a sudden makes this a much larger claim wow. than anybody would have thought it was going to be earlier. It's very unfortunate when it happens. When you see a claim become much bigger, it's always because something's gone the wrong way. Got about a minute left. I'll wrap up with a quick one from Ryan. Says, I got a lawyer handling my LTD case, but I can't ever get a hold of him. I don't know what's happened with my case. He's also quite rude to me and my wife. When we do reach him, do I have any options? Um, absolutely. I see people in similar circumstances all the time. And, you know, I work in a service-based profession. Right. Our job is to take care of a very frightening and complicated issue for our clients. And really, we're in the business of removing as much stress as possible from our clients' lives. So this kind of relationship shouldn't be happening. Having said that, when I see people in that kind of situation, I always recommend that they go back to their lawyer and try and resolve whatever the issue is. Um, it's important that you're very clear with your lawyer about what issues you're having, that you communicate with them and you tell them exactly why it is that you're not satisfied. But if that doesn't work, um, you always have the option of changing lawyers, and I'm certainly happy to give a second opinion. James, good for another week. My friend James and Savannah will be back uh, both next week. In the meantime, the number one 888 Get a hold of the guys and the firm in general. Uh, it is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca, and we've uh, mentioned it and talked about it uh, several times during the show. Injury calculator. Find out what the pain and suffering component of your claim could be and should be. Injurycalculator.ca. Till next time, the Insurance and Injury Law Show, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto.